never gets old. All right, I am going to speak to you today my, uh, about praising God and being thankful. Come on. So I want to go, what'd you say? <laughs> You're so funny. All right, let's turn to 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. We all know that we're living in a generation that doesn't know their right hand from their left hand. You guys are growing up among people that use their words to, to, to spew hate, to uh, instead of glorifying the God, they, they curse God. Instead of loving their neighbor, they speak down to them. They're disrespectful. We have never seen a generation like the one that we see right now. This is the most corrupt that we have probably seen it come to life and right in front of your face. People used to be ashamed of the things that people now do up in the open. Ashamed to do it. They may have been doing it, but they weren't showing people. Now it's all up in your face. They don't care. We have never seen a more rude and ungrateful generation. They think that something is old to them, right? They're entitled. So I know that you guys are growing up among them, but you are not like them. But I want to read about what it's like with these people in the last days. So you're there, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, have a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always learning, learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. I don't know about you, but that pretty much sums up what we see out there. We see a whole bunch of brutal, slanderous, unforgiving, selfish people. And I want to make sure that you all in this place always guard your heart from becoming like this. Because if you go down the road of being slanderous, you don't look like Jesus anymore. You're starting to look a lot like your generation. And God has called you out from this generation. If you are going down the road of being an ungrateful person that thinks God owes you something or think this church owes you something or your brother owes you something, you're going down the wrong road. They, they do that every time. I got to look this way not to like be distracted by Lawrence and TJ. But you're going down the wrong way. So I want to make sure that you understand that there's always, always, always something to be thankful for. There's always, always, always a reason to praise God. And we're going to start at the very foundation of why we praise God. It's not because of the things that he has given us, though they're great. It's because of who he is and what he has done. Come on, go to Isaiah 53 for me. This is a prophecy 
about Jesus. And I want to make sure before we get into the rest of the message that you guys always understand this is the foundation. So if you can't find anything to be thankful for, be thankful that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. If you can't find anything to praise God about, be thankful and praise God that he sent his one and only son and that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. You always have something to be thankful for. Always have something to praise God for. Let's read Isaiah 53. It says, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Does anybody have anything to be thankful for so far? Come on. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to be slaughtered, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I'm going to stop there. It is talking about Jesus. Never forget what he has done for you. He humbled himself, the God-man, full of glory, coming down, taking on an earth suit to become like us so that we can become like him. This is not... Um, true only based on the circumstances that we are walking through in this life. This is true no matter what. So the, again, you always have something to be thankful for. You always have something to give God praise about. And it starts with Jesus. Always. I know who I was without Jesus, and I know who I am now with him. Come on. I can't help but to be thankful when I think about what God has done for my life. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances may hold or what comes and throws my way. I remember who I used to be. And I don't ever want to go back to that person. I am so far removed from who I used to be, you wouldn't recognize her even if you saw her for a second. You'd be like, who the heck is that? You don't want her coming back. She is dead. She is gone because of what Jesus did. So I have a reason to praise God. I have a reason to be thankful. I have a reason to lift my hands in worship. I have a reason to scream as loud as I can. And if you think I'm too loud, I'm going to get a little bit louder because I used to be addicted, but I have been set free. I know who I used to be without Jesus. It is only because of his death, burial, and resurrection that I get to stand before you today. I am nothing, nothing, nothing without him. Come on, I was a sinner. I was broken. I was hurting. I was alone. I was tormented, but I have been set free. I have a sound mind today. Come on, does anybody else in this place have a testimony and a reason to give God praise? Hallelujah. You need to declare today 
that you will always have a heart of thanksgiving. Declare today that the praises of God will always be on your mouth, no matter if you don't think that God is doing things the way that they're supposed to be done. If you don't understand the world around you, if you don't understand why you're not two steps ahead and you're still right here, God, why aren't things moving faster? I thought when you called me to Bible college, you were going to go ahead and give me a free ticket all the way up to to, uh, Famous Land or whatever. You're going to give me a name for myself. I see all these preachers coming in. All my friends from Bible college are getting jobs at these big name churches. And I'm just here being, uh, you know, preaching on the streets and doing this and doing that. Even when you don't understand why you haven't advanced further in the world's sense of success, you better always have a heart of thanksgiving. It starts at the foundation. Jesus saved you. You're going to heaven, and you were on your way on a pathway to hell, the wide open road to destruction and hellfire. We were skipping down that road. But because of what Jesus did, we get to stand here among brothers and sisters going to Bible college saying, hey, I will do, I will give my life up. Even if I have to work the rest of my life so that I could go out to Boys Town and preach the gospel, I have to still go to work. I will do it for Jesus. I will do it all for him. Come on. I picked three areas that I have noticed be a temptation when it comes to ministry and how a heart of thanksgiving and praising God can help you from going down those roads and those uh, traps. So number one, a heart of thanksgiving and praise will guard you from a complaining spirit. And when you think about those who complained in the Bible, the ones that come to mind first are the Israelites. Right? God helped, God raised up Moses, and he had him help them get delivered out of slavery. They were broken. They were, um, they were actually doing really good, and the king that came after Joseph, the Bible even says he didn't care about Joseph. He didn't know nothing about Joseph, and he was looking at them, and he's like, we got to do something about these Jews. We got to do something about these Hebrews. They're doing too good. So he started to oppress them. He started to put masters over them, make them slaves. So, of course, he gives a man of God a call to go back to his own people and, and free them as slaves. So here they are. Moses goes to the Pharaoh. You guys know the story. He goes to Pharaoh. The plagues start to happen. The Hebrews are seeing it. Oh, my gosh, like God is moving. He's, he's attacking those that are oppressing us. So powerful. Finally, the Pharaoh says, yeah, let them go. He's had enough of God's wrath, finally. It took him a while. But if you go to Exodus 14, 11 through 12, right after the Israelites saw that God did all these miracles for them, it wasn't enough. So here they are at the Red Sea. I mean, is that the Red Sea? Is it the Red Sea? Whatever, the sea. And is it the Red Sea? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You guys are looking at me like you don't know either. Like, okay, thank you. Okay, here they are at the Red Sea. They look behind them. Pharaoh's coming, and they're full of fear. And that fear turns into a complaining spirit. Let's read it. Verse 11. They said to Moses, and they're always going to go after the one leading, too. 
As soon as they're full of fear, they point the finger at the one leading. Hey, it's your fault. Why'd you take us over here? Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. You complaining, ungrateful people. Come on, do not have a heart like the Israelites. And it's a crazy because even after they do that, Moses is like, don't be afraid. And the greatest miracle that they've ever seen is right in front of their face. See, God is merciful, but he's going to judge them too because he gets sick of their complaining after a while. So let's go to Exodus, just another chapter over, 15, 22, and I'm going to read it. So yes, they do that. They're all happy. They're singing praises to God, and then they get just a little verse, a couple verses over. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out from the Lord, and again, he did a miracle. Found a piece of wood, he throws the wood in, and it's great drinking water. The bitterness is gone. But wouldn't you think that they would be able to finally look back and say, man, God got me through here. God got me through here. He's probably going to get us through here too. So instead of complaining, what I'm going to do is I'm going to thank him. I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus, because I know I saw you set me free over here. You gave me miracles over here. So now that I'm over here, I know that you're going to do the same thing for me. I am not afraid. I will stand firm and I am not going to complain. Wouldn't you think? But no, of course not. They went the opposite direction, these complaining hearts. Could you imagine how much better it would have went for the Israelites if they would have just praised God and had a thankful heart from the beginning? Come on, one more. Exodus 16, 1 through 4. The whole Israelite community set out to Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come from Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died in the Lord's hand in Egypt. Don't you just kind of want to slap them? (laughs) Like, what is wrong with you? You were just set free from slavery and you want to go right back and put the, shack, the, the shackles right back on your, your hands, and you rather have them behind you whipping your back than trust me through this circumstance. Come on, guard your heart from a complaining spirit. Be thankful and praise the Lord. He has set us free from slavery, hasn't he? We used to be slaves to our sin We used to be in those shackles, and he has set us free. And sometimes we get a little full of ourselves, like we read in the the verses in the beginning. We get a little selfish, a little rude, a little ungrateful. And we think, oh, when I wasn't saved, I didn't have to deal with this. Why was my life when I wasn't saved like this and this? And now here I am, a Bible college student. It seems like everything is falling apart. Oh, God, why is it me? Why me? 
Come on, you better guard your heart and you better sing some praises to God because he owes you nothing, friends. He owes you not one more thing. He already gave you everything. He gave you everything when he gave you Jesus. Come on, number one, guard your heart with a, thanks, a heart of thanksgiving and praise from complaining, a spirit of complaining. Number two, a heart of thanksgiving and praise will guard your heart in the storms of life. And this one, I have preached on this before um, in a Sunday service, but I want to bring it back up again because we all are going to face things. Some of us in this room, and I'm telling you, we preach this all the time. We talk about it all the time. We try to prepare you for the things that life may throw at you because you don't know what tomorrow holds. But we're going to tell you how you can get through those different things that come in your life. And sometimes things happen and people fall away because the storms of life hit them. It's like, man, I've been preaching on this for so long and I even lived it out. Follow my example, please. Follow my example as you face hard times. And we don't wish that upon anybody. But man, you might not. Maybe your hardest trials are behind you. Maybe they're ahead of you. Maybe even for me, my hardest trial may be ahead of me. I don't know. But I know the God that holds tomorrow. Amen. And I'm going to trust him and I'm going to be thankful in all of my circumstances. Let's turn to Matthew 8, 23 through 25. And I just want you to understand in the image here, obviously God, Jesus is awesome. He controls the seas. They listen to him. All he got to do is, man, chill out. But it says, when then he got into the boat and the disciples followed him, suddenly a furious storm came on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Then he tells them, you have little faith. And he chills out the the waves and the sea. But I want you to catch something, though all of it is awesome. It came on suddenly. It doesn't come on with warning. The storms in your life are not going to say, hey, there's not going to be clouds in the distance. You're not going to be able to say like, hey, there's a storm coming. I'm going to prepare for it. I'm going to stand firm. Okay, let me put my armor on. Let me do all of this. Okay, it's coming. I'm, I'm waiting for it. Boom. And then you get hit. No, it sweeps over you without you even knowing what happened. It comes suddenly without warning. And that is why you have to be ready every single day. That is why we tell you every single day, put your armor on. That is why we tell you every single day, you better stand firm against the devil's schemes and against the arrows that fly at you. That's why we tell you every day that you better be praying. You better be reading your Bible. You better be staying close to Jesus because you don't know when the suddenly is going to come and you're going to need that armor that you left to the side because you weren't prepared. Come on, there are things that are going to happen in your life, in your ministry, and you need to remember this on the good day when we're all smiling. On the good day. This is a good day so far. <laughs> when we're all smiling, I need you all to remember this now for when the bad day hits. John 13, uh, 16, 33, you don't have to turn there, but it says in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That is what Jesus has said. It is easy to be consumed with the trouble when it hits. Our flesh wants to be consumed with the trouble, wants to be consumed with the storm. But Jesus said, take heart. You have 
to be brave. Take heart, stand firm, be bold, be courageous in the face of that storm, and he will get you through because he already overcame the world. And I'm not saying that you can't be sad and you can't grieve and you can't go through those type of motions, but we don't grieve like the world grieves. We don't deal with pain the way the world deals with pain. We don't deal with sickness the way that deal, the, the world deals with sickness. We don't deal with it like them. For me, receiving a cancer diagnosis at 30 years old with four beautiful children, my youngest was only two months old, was the hardest thing that I've ever faced. I lost my mom to cancer when I was five years old. Four children. I was the youngest of four. My dad raised us on his own. My whole life was this thought of what if it happened to me too? What if I grow up, get married, have children, and get cancer and die? because of what I faced, and I, I never wanted to face that. And here I was at 30 years old, young, have everything. I mean, I have an amazing husband. He's amazing. <laughs> Four beautiful children, a home, ministry. I mean, everything was beautiful, and then boom, you have to go through chemo. You're gonna go and lose all your hair, and I know, man, the, the worst thing when you're losing your hair is people telling you, like, it's going to grow back. Like, yeah, I got that part. I know it's going to grow back. But, man, losing your hair, there's just something about it. And I think I understand now. It's just you're seeing the reality of what's happening on the inside, on the outside. So, you know, it's like sometimes you have cancer. You don't feel like you have cancer. But that, it becomes, it becomes real. So that was more of what it was for me. It wasn't so much like, I'm not going to be pretty in my hair and I don't look like a girl and all that stuff. I was able to kind of push those things aside. But it was, man, I am sick. I'm sick. What if I die? What if my children have to live without me? And I didn't want to die. I really didn't want to die. And I thank God that I'm still here right now. Amen? But it would have been so easy for me to fall into a place of depression, into despair, feeling sorry for myself. It would have felt so good for my flesh. It would have felt like the natural place to be. And I'm telling you, what got me through that season was a heart of thanksgiving and praise. I remember I shared this story on a Sunday service when I preached that I had a family member call me after I received my diagnosis. And she was besides herself, and I was good. I was chill. And she was telling me, man, I can't believe you have cancer. I mean, kind of speaking that stuff over me again. Your mom had cancer. Here you are. You have cancer. She died. What if you die? I mean, it was, <laughs> it was a great conversation. I'm just listening to her like, okay. And then she said to me, aren't you just so angry? Aren't you just so angry at God? You've given him your life. and Look what he's done. And I remember saying back to her, hey, hey, I'm not angry. I'm thankful. I was thankful. I was so, so, so thankful that they found it. I was so thankful that there was a treatment for it. It was an incidental find. I wasn't supposed to find that thing. It could have grown. It could have spread. It could have went all over the place, and it could have been too late. But we found it, and we got a treatment for it. And praise God, it's the number one cancer that actually has a cure. So if I can go into remission for 5, 10 years, they'll tell me I'm cured. Not everybody has that chance. I was thankful. I was thankful that I even got 30 years of life because I was a sinner. I was a nasty girl, and I could have died in my sin and went to hell. But God gave me a life, and he gave me salvation. 
I was thankful that I actually had the opportunity to marry a man of God after choosing the wrong man after wrong man after wrong man. A man of God. A holy man. I was thankful that I got to see the beautiful eyes of my four children. Come on now, you guys, Thanksgiving got me through that time. It was a heart of Thanksgiving, and I remember there were times where I would feel so sick. Chemo makes you feel so sick. There were times you could feel every bone, every nerve all throughout my body, from my fingertips to my toes, and every single thing ached, everything. And I would lay in bed with my blanket, and I remember whispering in the times where it would have been easy to say, I feel so sorry for myself. I am depressed, I am hurting, I am this, I am that. I remember whispering to Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this bed. Thank you for this blanket. Thank you for the roof over my head. Thank you for this house. Thank you for my husband. Thank you for my children. Thank you, God, that I have another chance. Thank you, Jesus. And it was what got me through. It saved me from fear. It saved me from complaining. It saved me from depression and it gave me hope through my storm. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but by everything with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's a heart of thanksgiving that will guard your heart and your mind during the storms of life. Amen? Amen. I know you guys are a little distracted. He's going to be okay. I think we got someone coming here to do something, so you'll be all right. Number three, a heart of thanksgiving and praise will guard you from a life of envy and jealousy. This is the third one that I'm going to talk about. So number one, your heart of thanksgiving and praise is going to stop you from having a complaining spirit. It's going to help you get through the storms of life, and it's going to help you not be envious and jealous of those around you. Jealousy is like a disease. And I have seen so many preachers and sisters and brothers in Christ be tempted with this jealousy and this envy, and it becomes like a disease. And jealousy will always turn into hatred. Jealousy will always want to take over, and it even turns into murder. And we know that even in our hearts, if we hate our brother and sister, God considers it murder. But in the scriptures, we will see that it actually turns into murder. In the very beginning, Cain killed his own brother, Abel, because he was jealous, because God favored Abel, because Abel brought the right type of offering. And instead of Cain just bringing the right type of offering and getting the favor of the Lord too, instead he comes jealous and it turns into anger and it turns into bitterness and it turns into resentment and then it turns into murder. He killed his own brother. We see it in Joseph's life. Joseph was favored by his father. His brothers hated him. He has these dreams, which I think any sibling would be like, bro, I'm not bowing to you. You're crazy. Like, get out of here. But instead of them being able to kind of play with him like their little brother, like, get out of here. You're annoying. They become jealous in their heart. They become angry at him. They even plot to kill him because of their jealousy. And instead of, instead of, um, I got distracted by him. <laughs> Instead of being able to 
uh, kill him, they said, we'll, we'll, we'll put him into slavery. Well, thank God that they did that because God used that for his glory, right? God turned it all around for him. We have more stories of Saul becoming jealous of David, of King David, and chasing him and trying to kill him and plot to kill him out of his jealousy. We see people that have even turned into our very Savior because they were envious of what he was doing. Let's turn to Acts 13, and we'll see more examples of jealousy, of what happens in people's hearts when they become envious and jealous of those around them. Acts 13 is a story of Paul. Let's get there. 13, 42 through 45. It says, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about the things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of God. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't you be like, "Woo! praise God. Praise God they're all out here hearing the word of God. But instead, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy because this crowd is here for him instead of me. Oh, more people showed up to, to his evangelistic outreach than to yours. Why are the crowds listening to his music and not yours? Why are people listening to this preacher and not me? Why, are, why do people like her better than they like me? Why do are they befriending her and they're not befriending me? Jealousy, it's like a disease. It starts with a little seed. Acts 17, 1 through 9, we'll see another example of it. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amph Amphipolis and Apollopia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jew Jewish synagogue. As it was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. That's powerful right there. We're supposed to reason with people. We're supposed to help uh, convince them that the Messiah has come. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a, num a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Hey, hey give it up for the women. Hey, no, not, you thank you. <laughs> but other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up. Come on, somebody. We're about to get into the place of something. This comes to life right now, okay? This is going to come to life more than it has ever before. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house to search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not bring them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world, have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his home, blah, blah, blah. They ended up getting arrested, and they have to pay a fee. But come on, we have seen some mobs. We have seen some riots happen. And I'm telling you, the only reason that the whole 
Nini's thing went as far as it did in our church is because there was one jealous person of our brother and he started a whole big thing and he came out and he was like, let me get the mob. Let me tell them about this one person that I'm jealous of. Let me destroy this person's life. And I remember hearing from our brothers and sisters, I don't know how many of you were there that day. I think you two were, but I remember hearing from them, man, if they could have killed us, they would have. If it was going to be allowed, they were so angry, they would have came right at us and killed us. Why? Because of jealousy. Jealousy caused this man to act like a maniac, even threatening to burn down a church with people in it. How jealous you got to be to be turned into a maniac? Come on. I know we're talking about worldly people, but it happens in the church all the time. It happens among Bible college students. It happens among pastors. They have a bigger church. They have more people, more money, more resources. But what about me, God? Be thankful for what God has given to you. He don't owe you nothing. It all goes back to Jesus. We have everything to be thankful for already. He doesn't owe you anything. This is, just, this is just on top of what he's already given us. Be thankful for what he's given you. And if you're thankful for the gifts that God has put in your life, you won't be jealous of the, your brother's gifts. If you're thankful for the, for the wife that you have, you won't be busy looking at other people's wives. If you're thankful for the husband you have, you won't be busy trying to get other husbands to look at you. If you are thankful for the church you have, the pastors you have, you won't be looking at other places to satisfy you. Be thankful for where God has put you and let his praises always be on your lips because of who he is. Be content with where you're at and with what God has given you. 1 Thessalonians, I think it's 2nd, let me check. Yeah, 1 Thessalonians 5, eight, uh, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for you is to always rejoice. God's will for you is to always pray. 5, 16 through 18. 1 Thessalonians. Yeah. God's will is for you to always pray, always be thankful, no matter the circumstance that may come up in your way. So let's be thankful and praise God instead of complaining. Let's be thankful and praise God in the good times and in the bad times. And let us be thankful and praise God for who he is and all that he has done. And let us be thankful for who he made us to be, the gifts that he has given to us. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be on this stage. I'm no greater than you. I came from a wicked, wicked life, and I am just thankful that Jesus saved me. I have a reason to be thankful. Let a heart of thanksgiving and a mouth of praise guard your heart no matter the circumstance. And do not be like those wicked people out there. You are not like them. You are not ungrateful brats that are entitled. You are not like that. Be thankful. 
uh, Lawrence, if you can come, I want to end by just reading the Psalms. If you guys could stand up, please. Some of us don't know how to praise God. Some of us need to get a pep in our step when it comes to giving God glory. King David could teach you a lot about giving God praise and about being thankful. And I want you guys to always remember, no matter what comes into your heart, if you're going to complain, if you're mopping the floor for the eighth time, if you're still cleaning toilets in the church, if you're doing the things that people don't see, and that heart of complaining comes up, or if the storms of life come, something bad happens, you don't think that it should have went that way, and you're, you want to give up, you don't know how to stand, or if you look at another brother and sister and you become jealous of them, they sing better, they look better, they do things better, uh, my pastors like them more than me, they have favor, all of this stuff, whatever that you make up in your head, because it's all not true. I want you to remember in those moments, please, to stop and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've given to me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for everything that you have given to me. I praise your name. Come on, it says, praise the Lord. How good is it to sing praises to our God? How pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles in Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He determines the numbers of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble but cast the wicked to the ground. I'm going to go to 149. It says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let SUM Chicago rejoice in their maker. Let the people of MPI be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let his faithful people of MPI rejoice in his honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be on their mouths. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with a sounding of a trumpet. Praise him with a harp. Praise him with dancing. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with a resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on, let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, if you never did another thing, we would still use our voice to be full of thanksgiving and to be full of praise to our King. You are worthy, Jesus. You are worthy, King Jesus, because of who you are, mighty God, true God, good God, faithful God. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah, the creator of heaven and earth. 
Jesus, we always have a reason to be thankful. We always have a reason to praise your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, um, Oscar, if you can bring the other mic here, please. Hallelujah. Come on, I want to pass around the mic, and I want you guys to use your own voice to glorify God. I want you to start practicing a heart of thanksgiving and a voice of praise. Hallelujah. You can start now. Hallelujah, Jesus. 